and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Happy Friday. I want to invite you to subscribe to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. If you haven't done that yet, it's a great way to consume the show. Listen at your convenience. Never miss a minute of the show. And this week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by my good friend, Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get the highest price selling your home and guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Um, I want to talk about immigration from a different perspective, and it starts with this. U.S. vows to tackle visa delays as frustrations mount. Now, I got to tell you that we need a more comprehensive approach. I've talked with uh, people about this. If you remember a former President Bush, and I mean W, uh, 43, uh, said one of the most one of the biggest regrets of his presidency was that he didn't get comprehensive immigration reform done. At that time, he was seen as too centrist and too moderate on the border. At the time, the border issue was a big one in America, and Republicans were Border hawks, and they still are, but they were border hawks, and they wanted to, they just wanted to, it was all about border security. It wasn't about immigration reform and, and reforming the system. What's interesting is the very same people that were border hawks against the Bush idea, and at the time, John McCain took a lot of heat, build the dang fence, and all that stuff that was going on because he wasn't hawkish enough on the border. Uh, now, if you look at what happened, former President Trump gets a lot of respect from Republicans for what did he want? He wanted comprehensive immigration reform. Not only did he want legislation that protected dreamers, and it would have protected more dreamers than were protected under the Obama plan, but he wanted it done legislatively. He gave them six months to do it. And he also wanted to reform the immigration system. He wanted to get rid of chain migration, which means when you come here and become a citizen, you get to choose who comes next. Not just immediate family, but extended family. He wanted that to go away. And the visa lottery system, which he thought was immensely unfair, that this should be a merit-based thing. It should not be based on a lottery. So he wanted those changes and significant changes made, and it was killed by the Democrats. Um, Now here we are with a border and a situation that's worse than it's ever been. But at the same time, if you look at what the American workforce needs, and I go back to the old standby where I came from in the construction world. In the construction world, there was a time in 2007, I believe it was, 2006, 2007, where we were building in the neighborhood of 65,000 homes per year in Arizona. And now when the demand is so much higher or as high, We understand the housing shortage is part of the reason why inflation is so high in Arizona is because there's a shortage of housing. And so if we could build them more quickly, well, we're not even at really half of that 65 or 68,000, whatever it was. We're not even half that amount. And it isn't demand. It isn't money. It's workforce. We don't have the workforce. Um, if you look at there's a story in the economy stuff we've been talking about today. Arizona's added a couple of hundred thousand jobs and uh, we our economy is booming. People are eating out. The restaurant industry is hiring in droves and looking for people. Our tourist season is here. Snowbird season is here. The resorts are in high demand for uh, employees and it is and they're having a tough time filling those vacancies. We have had build your future Arizona on 
on with the show a couple of different times trying to entice people to come into the construction field with the hundreds of thousands of construction jobs that are going to be needed to build what's necessary here in the state of Arizona. So one was housing and construction. The other is commercial. It is also industrial construction and the things that are being built in Arizona to move our economy forward. So I would submit that this idea that the U.S. vows to tackle the visa delays and frustration is a step in the right direction. But what we should be doing, and I don't know if it's going to happen, it usually doesn't, but now would be a time with leadership change coming with the new Speaker of the House and the House of Representatives and, and Nancy Pelosi announcing that she's going to step out of leadership for her party and it's going to be a new way to go, a younger generation, which I think is a brilliant move. And the Republicans have to really consider this. You have to look around at the people in the Republican Party and the House and the Senate that are part of your leadership and think, what are we going to do with leadership? Because at some point, the next generation has to step in. That's a little side note. But maybe something can get done on the immigration front where we can get real border security. We're talking 87,000 IRS agents. Why don't we work on hiring 87,000 border agents? Why don't we up that technology that one side of the aisle says is the most important thing? The other side wants to put up structure. Why not a combination of all of that? Why not finally sit down and say, okay, we're going to be serious about border security. But for the good of the American economy, why aren't we going to do something to allow people? I will tell you what would stop this incredible push of people coming north illegally. And that would be by giving them a legal way to apply for a visa. They're coming here and applying for asylum because they're being told that is what gets them into this country. So about what 60, depending on who you ask, 60 to 90 percent of the asylum claims in the U.S. are fraudulent. They are not realistic, and those people are being told no. But the line is years long, so the legitimate asylum seekers are trapped in that same system. But if we said to people, go back home. And you can apply for an American work visa wherever you are on the other side of the border. We're going to expedite the process. When there's a job for you, you're going to get a job and you can travel through the ports of entry legally. And as long as you obey American laws and you're employed in America, you can stay. If you break the law, we will either suspend or revoke your permit, your visa. And and if you are caught crossing illegally into the U.S., you automatically lose your ability to apply for a visa for one year. Now, it's a very simple, oversimplified idea, but if you think about it, wouldn't that stem the tide? Because in the end, the people that just want to come here and live a better life are lying about an asylum claim because they're being told that's the fastest way to get here. If we gave them a legal way to get here where we could do the background checks and we could hire them immediately – And we knew that they had legal status here. As long as there was a need in the industry that they were going into, they could work. And I think right now with new leadership coming, this might be the time where we work on something comprehensive. When you have the White House saying the U.S. now says – I'm sorry, State Department officials pledged Thursday that the wait times for tourist, student, and work visas would shorten significantly in the next year. Well, we are clamoring for a workforce. You've got a workforce at the border. They're just coming the wrong way. They are coming the wrong way. We don't know who the criminals are. We don't know who the legitimate asylum seekers are. We don't know who the people are trying to just figure out a way to get here so they can go to work. We don't know any of those things. And we could if we revamp this system. 
And as I, every time I talk about this, I say the same thing. A, a situation in America that we should be proud of, which is the demand for people to come here, that people are clamoring at our shores still to this day. It's not Ellis Island anymore. Now it's the southern border in many ways. But people want to come to America and live the American dream. As Reagan put it, we're still that shining city on the hill. That should be something that we are proud of. Right now we're afraid and we're ashamed, and we should be both because of the way this is being handled. But let's get some solutions, and part of that solution is a workforce that would help American companies succeed, that would help drive down your housing costs. I don't know why we're not looking at it, but it's, it's, it, it's frustrating that we aren't. What we're going to do next is we are going to talk about education. What was the key to the superintendent's win? One story in Arizona says it's school choice. Is that true? We'll figure it out next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I want to remind you that the Innings Festival is back. It's a two-day music festival featuring Green Day, Eddie Vedder, Weezer, and so much more. Returns to Tempe Beach Park February 25th and 26th. Tickets are on sale, but you can get full details and possibly win a pair of tickets at the contest page at KTAR.com. So there's an interesting story from the USA Today. It said school choice motivated midterm voters in superintendent races. And uh, I wonder if the, how much of that is true. There is no doubt that there is a different attitude when it comes to education nationwide after what happened during uh, COVID. I think it was mishandled by the teachers unions. It certainly was by the National School Board Association when they wrote a letter to the White House, by the way, with White House input. So this happens often. This wasn't something nefarious. But we understand that when an agency is working, a, a government agency is working with an organization like that on an official letter, they're going to come to an agreement on something. They work on the wording sometimes so that when you send an official letter, now we've got your official letter. This is what our official response is going to be. So they say there was White House input into this when the National School Board Association called parents domestic terrorists that were showing up at school board meetings. And um, there was huge backlash. As a matter of fact, the Arizona School Board Association broke ties with the NSBA. Um so it, th- this has gotten vitriolic in many cases. P- parents are questioning curriculum. But in the end, what this boiled down to was who ultimately has the power. Um, Swalwell, Eric Swalwell, the California Democrat, um, kind of stepped in it last week when he talked about how idiotic it is for parents to think that they were in charge of education because he said you don't tell your surgeon how to perform surgery and some other things, which I thought was absolutely hilarious because it is so misguided in what he said, the intent of what he is saying is just shut up, sit down, and let us educate your children. That's like a doctor telling you, sit down and shut up, and I'm going to tell you what the best course of action is. You choose your doctor. You choose the course of action, but you do it with the input of the experts. No one wants to diminish the expertise of educators, but what's happened in America is they have seen school boards act like little fiefdoms and, and they, they don't let they don't want input unless it's input they want to hear. They want to be left alone. They want autonomy. They don't want the money audited. They don't want questions asked about what they're spending on curriculum. And it's not all of them. It's not even most school boards. But it happens often enough that when it makes the news, parents got involved. There have been a lot of changes on school boards here in Arizona. There will continue to be. And will is that part of the reason why Tom Horn 
won. Now, Tom Horn has won statewide statewide races before. He's been the superintendent of public schools, I believe, for eight years in Arizona. He's been an attorney general. So he's got a statewide name ID. But we all understand that classically speaking in America, Democrats are given the nod as being the experts on education. And we have a we have a, a Democrat incumbent in um, in Kathy Hoffman, who has conceded the race. And so it was a surprise to many that Mr. Horn performed so well, especially when other candidates on the Republican side of the aisle did not. So what is the reason behind it? Is it his name, ID and experience? Probably. There's probably a significant part of that in there. But I also think it's a parent's um, desire for change of direction. You are seeing more parents that may disagree politically with each other that agree that ultimately the final say on the direction of schools goes to the taxpayer, to the parents, because it's their tax dollars and it's their children, especially their children. If you want to turn a parent into an activist, do something they believe is harmful or wrong for their child, and they are going to become an activist. And that's what's happened in Arizona. And when you see what happened with the Scottsdale's Unified School District and doxing parents that were disagreeing with them, a lot of questions about masks. And that's the other thing. Um, you know, in Arizona, the uh, AIA, the, the organization that oversees sports, really made fools of themselves. And I don't know any of them. They may be great people. But they had decided they weren't going to have winter sports last year which is basketball, soccer, and wrestling. And they were going to cancel the season. And parents lost their minds. But what parents did was something very unique. The parents decided, we'll just have our own leagues. The referees aren't working, so we'll hire the referees. We'll start our own leagues. We'll just call them different names, and we will play these games and have our own season outside of the purview of Arizona high school sports. So when that happened, when they called their bluff, the the board went back into a vote. One person changed their vote, and by a five to four margin, they re-implemented the season. Except, except what they did was they made a mask mandate. Now I want you to remember the sports that I just laid out: soccer outside, running, soccer, basketball in a gym, running. And the the most ludicrous of them all is wrestling. Wrestling in high school is three two-minute periods. That's six minutes of not just close contact, but you are in contact constantly for six minutes with your opponent. Very close, face-to-face. It is, in my opinion, because I was a wrestler when I was younger, that and swimming are the two most overall physically um, demanding sports because it's your full body at work all the time. And they were forcing wrestlers to wear masks on the wrestling mat as if somehow that was going to make a difference. So they made fools of themselves. And parents were looking at this and talking about mandates on masks and what it's going to do to kids and child development. Now, again, parents are allowed to disagree. Parents would walk into a room and there's going to be a bunch of parents that think masks should be worn. And there are other parents that are going to think that masks don't help. And as a matter of fact, they're a hindrance. But it's the parents' voices that need to be heard the loudest. Of course, you're going to have expert input. Of course, you're going to have that follow the science. All Everybody gets that. But in the end, the parents weren't in control, and they found that out very quickly, and they decided they were going to change it. And that's what a part of this is. Parents decided we may not always agree, but we are in control. These are our children. You will educate them in the way we see fit. You're the experts on education, but we're going to tell you how they're going to be educated. 
And now you've got people asking questions about curriculum. And it's not questions. There are valid questions about what curriculum is being taught. If I were approaching it, I would approach it differently. I would approach it by asking them why. I would want to know why in a time when the school districts almost to every school district in the state is saying that they are underfunded and they can't pay teachers more money. I would be asking the very serious question. Why are you spending all of that money on this curriculum that has nothing to do with the subject matter that students are learning? How is that important enough that you'd spend that kind of time and money on it? And that's the way I'd approach it. And we're going to see. I believe that's what's going to happen. Coming up in a moment, um, how do we increase the number of police officers? Is it training? Because they're saying some of what the training changes are driving people away. We'll discuss all of it coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Saw a story in the Washington Post that said public outrage over how police use force fueled protests in the streets. But it goes on to say, despite the intense focus on the present and future of policing, one, one key component has remained woefully inadequate. According to a report from a prominent policing think tank, how new officers are trained. And that's what this is talking about. Training recruits presents an immediate crisis for policing. The report describes a system that even after years of push and pull over change is built to train officers quickly and cheaply. Now, I don't know that that's the truth because I've never been through police training. I will tell you that much like any other profession, um, uh, I, I had a great uh, – this is completely out of left field in this analogy. But I was at the Arizona Culinary Institute yesterday – or day before yesterday. And uh, I had lunch with the former governor, Fife Symington, and his son, Fife, and the head chef, the president of the school. And um, the reason why this – let me explain how this ties in. It is a rigorous accredited program cranking out – um, chefs and they have got 101 students I believe right now the food was phenomenal the kitchen is incredible and the training is rigorous training but when they graduate from this culinary institute they are not ready to be a head chef at a restaurant sous chef you know and they line cook and they learn their way they've got to work under an expert for a, for an amount of time so that they can better be trained and be better at the job before they can be certified and accredited as a chef in the trades where i came from you go through an apprenticeship program and it's a four year program you can have all the technical skills in the world but you have to have four years of practical experience that's documented before you can be a journeyman electrician it doesn't matter how well you do on the test. You have to have four years in the trade before you are certified as a journeyman electrician. You have to pass the test as well. But you have to have time in. It's not book knowledge. It's practical application. And it's the same way in policing. When police officers go through, and they could be deputies or troopers in the end, but when police officers go through their basic academy, when you go through the police academy in Arizona, it's called post. You are post certified. You are a law enforcement officer in Arizona. Every agency that I know of has their own secondary academy or, or has an academy where they're, you're on the street. You're with an FTO, a field training officer. And there is an amount of time and thresholds where you must perform all of the skills that a standalone officer would be 
able to to accomplish on a daily basis. Now, there is a minimum standard, and you've got to get to that minimum before they turn you loose, so to speak, on your own as an officer. And even then, you're still working under sergeants, in, in many cases, a sergeant of a squad that shows you the leadership as a new officer to get your feet wet and move on. So it takes a couple of years for an officer to really be seasoned enough to be a standalone officer. I say that because there's always ways to train better. There's no doubt. And and when technology changes, go, you know, I'm 55 years old. You look at the technology that officers can work with from stopping cars, from the stop sticks and other things that they use to tasers and the less lethal forces that are able to be used now and employed. It's a different world than it was a long time ago. So the training changes. But how do we overcome the shortage of police officers? And part of that is reputation. And what I mean by that is that the, you are, it is assumed that you are going to do a good job. The assumption for me, the assumption, and I've been pulled over, we talk, we joke about it, but I've been pulled over a number of times. And the assumption from my perspective as an officer pulls me over or approaches my vehicle I want them to assume that they're safe. So I put down all the windows in my vehicle. I put my hands where the officer can see it. I don't reach for my license or any documents until he or she directs me to do that. I always advise them that have a firearm in the vehicle. I want them to know from the minute there, they can assume that they are safe with me. But the assumption on my end is that it's going to be a courteous exchange. If I've done something wrong, I expect I'm probably going to get a ticket. I'm probably going to get you know uh, some kind of uh, talking to about what I was doing and how dangerous it is if it's speeding or whatever. But I don't expect to be treated disrespectfully. I don't expect to be yelled at. I don't expect to be treated like a child. And I will tell you that the overwhelming number of experiences I've had with law enforcement in my life have been a great experience. There have been few exceptions. And I believe part of that's a training issue because once you get out there on your own, once you develop your own style of how you deal with people in any industry, how I deal with people in this business, how I dealt with people in my previous business, you, you develop your own style. It doesn't make it always right. How I dealt with my employees. You know, I dealt with them differently than other people would. How does that reflect? That's a personal thing, but it's also at some point it's a training thing. If you're a trainee and you're under someone that is a tyrant and they are they are on you and they're yellers and they're screamers and they're dictators on how you're supposed to do things, you turn into that kind of person. You know, you look at a you you look at how a child behaves when they grow up. Look, don't look much further than their parents sometimes. But the other part of this also is respect and safety. Driver released after arrest and deputy recruit crash that sheriff called deliberate act. So this story is out of California. A 22-year-old diamond bar man was released Thursday night after he'd been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder of a peace officer in a crash that injured 25 recruits on a training run. Jail records show that this guy, Nicholas Joseph Gutierrez, was released at 9.49 p.m. and that his initial arrest Wednesday had been deemed a detention. So it used to be, it used to be, that the worst crime you could commit when it came to violence was violence against a police officer because it was assumed that if you were crazy enough and you had such a lack of respect for authority that you would commit a violent crime against a law enforcement officer, you were as dangerous as it gets in our streets. 
that when law enforcement showed up, generally speaking, people stopped what they were doing and they were respectful of the badge. That's changed. Now, there are those that say it changed because law enforcement doesn't deserve respect, and there are others that just acknowledge and lament that it's changed. There has got to be a a renewed respect for the badge. And there's a couple of ways of accomplishing that. Number one is I believe I believe there has to be severe punishment for anyone who commits a crime against a cop, and society has to let them know that that will not be tolerated. But the other side of that same coin is when officers do the wrong thing, that they are publicly held accountable. And so that everybody knows we are not going to accept someone that we put in a position of authority abusing that authority. If we accomplish those, it's an easy job. But it's easier said than done. I just thought it was an interesting look at the training part of this that they're saying is a big problem, that we need to beef up training. So I would say to the people that are in favor of defunding the police, uh, once again, you're defeating your argument. You're defeating the point of what you're trying to accomplish. We need to put more money into law enforcement. We need more cops so we can have better trained officers, and we need to spend more money on training. You don't do that by defunding the police. They defeat their own purpose. They have a disdain for law enforcement, and that's where it goes. Coming up in a moment, the war on the holidays. It's already starting. It's one of my favorite topics, the war on Christmas and the war on Hanukkah. Where it starts, I'm going to give you details in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. It's one of my favorite things to talk about every year. And I used to use an analogy that actually came true, and I was shocked by it. But so here's what's happening. This one starts, I believe it's in King County. We, we better look. I think it's King County. Yep, King County. Um Uh, You can celebrate LGBT pride and wear a Black Lives Matter button throughout your day at King County if you're an employee, but you better not show a nativity scene or a menorah or on your digital workspace or your home office. This is King County Human Resources warn employees not to decorate their workspaces with overtly Christmas or Hanukkah decorations. They fear decorations may offend employees. Oh, my gosh. Um. I love this part of the year. It's my favorite time of year. People are kinder. People are nicer. Um, people are more thoughtful. They are more introspective into what they have been blessed with. And we look for a way to give. And I love that more than – I love this time of year more than anything else. But I also love in a sarcastic way this nonsense. I used to say – you know, they, used to, they always try to cancel the Christmas parade or a holiday parade. And they didn't want crosses and they didn't want um, – Religious references in parades because the parades were endorsed by the city and they were guarded by the police department. And that is a violation of the separation of church and state. So they not only did they want to stop those organizations from being in them, they want to steal the holiday. They call it the holidays. Listen, Christmas is supposed to be all of those things. But there are those of us who see Christmas as one of the most sacred days of the year, Easter being another one. And um, for for the the Jewish people, uh, Hanukkah and what a celebration Hanukkah is for those days. And to 
to step in and say, we are going to have our own celebration of this time of year. We're even going to call it Christmas, let's say. But we're going to take the religious aspect out of it is an absolute joke. I laughed at it all the time, and I said, imagine, imagine if we had a 4th of July parade and somebody wanted to take out the American flag because it might offend people that were non-citizens of America. And there were people that actually tried to do it in the last few years. Go look it up. So it actually has happened. These people are so open-minded, their brains have fallen out onto the floor. Can you imagine being told and, – and again, I have nothing against the Black Lives Matter movement. I disagree with them, but I've, I've supported their right to protest. I certainly have no issue with the pride flag or LGBTQ, none whatsoever. But you can have those in your workspace. You can decorate your workspace with those two statements. This is what I believe in. I believe Black Lives Matter. I believe in the LGBTQ movement. Here is my pride flag in support of all of that. As a matter of fact, I believe the USA soccer team, the men's soccer team, and we ought to really talk about how bad Qatar is screwing up the World Cup. But the American team is changing their crest, I believe, to the pride flag, to the rainbow flag in support of LGBTQ because they're in a country that is very, very uh, hard on and I would say even making it criminal to be LGBTQ. Um, and the World Cup, they're changing the crest of the USA symbol in support of, of, of gay people, of LGBTQ. No one has a problem with that. But somebody that's a Christian or a Jew that wants to celebrate a religious holiday can't do that in King County because it might offend someone. Offend who? What if I'm offended? Now, I'm not. But what if I was offended by the Black Lives Matter flag or I was offended by the pride flag? I'd be seen as a bigot. I'd be seen as a racist. I'd be seen as closed-minded. And I need to get my act together. There's no doubt about that. That's exactly what would happen. But nobody says to the other one that says, well, well if you're not a Christian, don't pay any attention to it. What do you care? What do you care if your coworker has a menorah um, on their screensaver or in their workspace? Pay no attention to it. And this is the war on Christmas every year. And part of it is the war on authority because they don't like the religious authority. They don't like the fact – and that is not everyone. They don't like the fact that there are people out there that submit to a creator, that we – as a nation, are a theistic nation. We're not a theocracy. Iran is a theocracy. They run that nation with a, with a religious book. We're a theistic nation. We have always acknowledged a creator. But we also have made room for those that don't. That's what's so fascinating to me. The First Amendment overtly protects your right to express your religious beliefs any way you want to. And yet we keep hearing about the separation of church and state, and this is where that overreach happens. I, I've never – I've never gone and said I'm not going to hang out with that person because they're an atheist. That person should be fired because they're an atheist. Never in my life. Never in my life. I, I know – I have friends that are atheists. And they – it's always a fun conversation with friends. Let's be honest. You know, you poke fun at each other and you have a good time. But I would never discount a friendship because they didn't believe with me. I, I, we know about the anti-Semitic sentiment in our country about being anti-Jew. We know that that exists. We know that in this country for a long time there was the, the growth in the anti-Muslim um, uh, movement because they called it Islamophobic because of what happened on 9-11 that there were a lot of people from other cultures that were ostracized when they had nothing to do with it. You have over a billion I believe it's a billion Muslims in the world. There's no way that they are all terrorists but that was the attitude in America that it was automatically the religion itself was deemed to be a violent religion. 
But we get past all of that. And now here we are in King County and people are saying, nope, can't do it. You know, you can put up your pride flag. You can have your Black Lives Matter flag, but you better not have anything Christmas. And now you could put Santa Claus. I imagine Santa Claus, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all okay. But if you are going to put up a he is, you know, uh, he is risen as Easter. Uh, He is born. Um, If you're going to do that for Christmas, nope, can't do it. No religious reps. Can't have a nativity scene. Can't have the religious symbols, menorah, otherwise you can't do any of it. Hanukkah bush. It is absolutely ludicrous. I can't wait to talk more about this because there will be more examples of people um, losing their minds over this. And we'll just we'll, we will chronicle it as it goes on. What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock, uh, the EPA, we're going to talk about the economy. The EPA is holding up a major refinery. For environmental issues at a time when diesel fuel only has a 26-day supply. We'll talk about the fallout in a moment.